Well, folks, some of you know that we enjoy a solid video game, and our guest today has actually been a very big part of, of several titles that you're probably familiar with. But joining us today is our friend Jesse Sosa. He's been a character artist, UI artist, uh, lead character artist too, if I'm, if you can keep me honest, Jesse, um, and uh, recently art director and outsource manager. Um, so you've been absolutely climbing through the ranks and and uh, quarterbacking a lot of the design process. So. I'd like to welcome to the show, of course. I know I mentioned once, but Jesse Sosa, welcome to Digital Dissection. How are we doing tonight? Uh, doing well, doing well. Yeah, I've uh, I've done pretty much everything in this industry. I've I there's a lot of stuff even on my my LinkedIn that isn't necessarily uh, outlined. But uh, you know, I started as a concept artist, character artist, and I've gone through, you know, went up lead lead artist, became art director, art director of full studio, started the studio down in Brazil. Uh, started my own little studio, kind of just make my own games. I've been a voice actor. I've done uh, programming. I've done uh, coding for shaders. I've done scripting, creative director, writing, pretty much everything you could think of. Uh, I've done a lot of it. You're, you're talking about 20 and a half years of professional experience. So it's quite a bit. Yeah, it sounds like you 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 could just make a video game on a whim. You have that much experience. <laughs> yeah. I it's mean, like if you needed a game, you just make it. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what I was doing right before the podcast. I'm working on on a demo for for my for my side studio, you know, just trying to get something picked up so we can keep working. Uh, over COVID, I've made two games already. Just you know, wow. they're just Excellent. stuck in publisher hell like like always. But yeah. but uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting career. It's a lot of fun. I'm still not quite sure what I want to do when I grow up. But for right now, <laughs> games are fine. Um, uh, yeah, like I want to make toys, I want to make uh, cartoons and all that stuff, uh, comic books, everything. I want to be in movies, that kind of stuff. So yeah, lots of stuff to do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's I mean, awesome. when you when you mentioned rising through the ranks, folks that didn't like hear obviously our, our pre conversations that Jesse mentioned, uh -huh. just like with Highlander, he had to kill the people that had the position before, <laughs> and he can he consumed their spirit. There can yeah. only be one Jesse. And so yeah, I mean. Yeah, like at Gearbox, I think we have one other Jesse, and it's really weird. So uh, I've, I'm used to always being the only Jesse in the room. So it, it's 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 bizarre. Yeah. So how, how are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> well, I mean, great. I'm, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I've been doing pretty well because uh, this week I didn't have a hospital stay, but I did manage to cut my hand halfway open. Um, yeah. Which, uh, oh, Mark. <sighs> Just... Mark, 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 Mark. Yep. If you're not yeah. dizzy, you're dropping things on yourself. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just cutting on myself with with broken glass. I don't know how that started, but uh, but yes, happy to be standing up straight. Time, <laughs> I'll put time everybody to else. bring out the bubble. Time to yeah. bring out the bubble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Jesse. We once again we want to thank you for joining us, and uh, it's it's really cool how you know the, the folks come through this this program of ours or program as we like to say programs and, yes yeah <laughs> and uh especially from a video game standpoint because like you mentioned there's so many different hats that you have to wear um i wouldn't just say to survive but just because that's that's how the creative process works i'm sure it's some of it's probably by design some of it probably isn't but um i'm always always happy to talk to creators in, in your industry because i mean you, you have a ton of stories to tell and uh in this case what we're interested in starting off with um, is is learning a little bit about where you got your start here, right? Um, right? How your journey into the industry began, because from what we've heard, I mean, your 3D design experience really started in, what, 98? 
Um, yeah, technically, I mean, um, I started take, I actually started as a programmer. So I started uh, my first game that I ever I ever did. I, I programmed uh, when I was in high school, um, back in my um, what was it? Uh, I think junior year. Um, we were we were allowed to take um, college courses as in lieu of physical education and some of these other other electives. And so um, one of them was programming and learning basic and C plus and all all that stuff. Uh, and um, Mm-hmm. So I was really interested in that. That was in 90, 94, 95. And uh, my friends and I, you know, we had always talked about wanting to make video games. I mean, I remember the first game I ever designed was in fourth grade uh, on graphing paper. It was a oh. G.I. Joe top-down game. It was uh, very similar to Atari <laughs> Warriors. And so I, I laid out all this graph paper and I would draw the the you know, the characters, G.I. Joe characters, and I would just draw the entire map. And, you know, my friends, because I, I was an artist, and my friends that couldn't draw, they would sit there, and they would give me ideas, and I would draw the little, you know, bad guys in the tanks and all this stuff. And I'd be like, <laughs> this is how the game's going to work. It's just mm-hmm. paper design. But um, uh, I think it was the summer of 93. Yeah, I think it was the summer of 93. I got my first uh, 386 computer for my sister, who, uh, you know, were, well, I, w- I would go to my sister's house in Houston over the summers and, and I bought myself um, like a, a DOS for dummies book. And part of that, part of it in there was, a, it, it kind of went over the, the, the very basic uh, programming language in DOS. And so it, it, it taught me some little things like how to manipulate the computer speaker, how to draw, mm-hmm. um, you know, text onto the screen and all that. And so uh, I think it was my junior year, the summer before my junior year, she gave me the, the 386 because she knew that, that you know, I was going to become a junior and a senior and I was going to have to be writing papers and all this stuff. And little did she know that she really like, kicked off my my career because uh, I learned basically how to do pixel art, uh, you know, in MS Paint. So I, I got pretty damn good at doing pixel art with that. Um, and uh, the other thing, too, is I, I spent a lot of money and bought a scanner. So I was actually able to scan and color and, and learn how to manipulate photos. Uh, but I did program my first game, which is, uh, you know, very simple. It's a, it was a text adventure. Um, and it was uh, but I, I, I scored the music that that started up. I had a, an animated ASCII sword that came down and then you hit enter and then you had story that came out and you would um you know go on an adventure you had a couple decisions you would make you'd run into an enemy you'd fight it and you know that was basically the the extent of the game um and i was like in i think that was 95 or so so when the when the opportunity came up to take programming classes i i jumped on the on on that opportunity like i just i just jumped at it me and my other friends uh you know like i said we all wanted to make video games at the time Mm -hmm. it was super nes you know i I think the playstation had had, was on the verge of coming out so uh took some programming classes was fairly okay at it like i i wasn't the worst in the class but i certainly wasn't the best either i was in the middle maybe just a little bit better than than the middle but um than the average i say but um what ended up happening was just one day you know this is after like you know taking the class for most of the year i was just sitting in there and i was just drawing and um we, we were taking a test, I think, if I recall correctly, because our teacher was walking around. So I, I want to say we were taking a test and I had finished and my teacher comes up to me, my programming instructor comes up to me and he's just like, hey, Jesse, uh, what do you want to do when you grow up? 
And, and I said, well, I don't know. Or he asked me something about like, what do you want to do with programming when you grow up or something like that? And I said, well, I don't know. I want to make video games. And he's like, okay. He's like, well, what, what, what do you want to do when it comes to video games? And I was like, I, you know, I, I, I would love to program them and all that. He goes, because you draw my class a lot. He goes, have you ever considered making art <laughs> as a career? And I was like, no, not really. I'm like, it takes a programmer to make games, right? Because I was used to 16-bit SNES at the time. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, yeah, but things are changing now. He goes, a lot of, a lot of. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of game studios now they're they're starting to need, uh, you know, artists and everything. It's not just programmer art anymore. And I kind of stopped and thought about that, and I had never really considered it. And so that was basically the big changer there that that made me realize that you know uh, instead of doing programming, I was gonna want to do um, art for a living. So I had to figure out what that meant. And so mm -hmm. when my one of my best friends, pretty much the the one that taught me like how to draw kind of uh or at least uh pointed me in a good direction we used to draw image comics all the time like it was all about spawn mm -hmm. and stuff and oh yeah <laughs> and uh, so he was basically my partner in art and uh, we we did everything together with with artwork he basically um said hey there's a there's this college out there it's called the, like the art institute and they're going to be coming down to one of the local cities and you know let's go check them out and so we went and checked it out and um you know, I was sold and he wasn't, he, he's, you know, he's afraid of debt and all that stuff. And it was an expensive school at the time. I mean, sh I mean, who, who wouldn't want their college to only be $24,000 nowadays, but, but <laughs> back then, back then it was like a, a whopping 30, 30 some thousand dollars. If you stayed on, I think now they're like in the hundred thousand. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. And so, you know, I was sold. I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. This is exactly what I want. They were showing like working in 3d and all that stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to do. And so I had, I had the Houston school and a Dallas school and I was like, well, Houston's fine. Uh, but it seems like Dallas has better hardware, better computers. And I was like, you know, it's the furthest thing away from my, from my hometown as possible. So I was like, fuck it, let's just go out there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, um, and so, so yeah, so I, you know, as soon as I graduated, I moved to Houston and I started working uh, six months before I, my start date in, in Dallas. And I just tried to save as much money as I could, which, you know, I started paying my my tuition uh, six months before I went to school. Um, wow. But I, I did I did apply. For, I did get some kind of scholarship, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember. It, it wasn't a lot, but it was, you know, it was just something. You know, I, I submitted a portfolio and all that for it. And so, yeah, it came January uh, 1998, and I just moved to Dallas. My parents dropped me off, and and that was the that was the scariest day of my life. It was I'd never I'd always been surrounded by like a dozen friends or so in high school, and this was just like I had enough money in my pocket to make my next next payment, and that was it. And I remember wow. I was I was terrified. Um, being in Dallas, my parents, they could only afford to drive me up, drop me off and leave. And so I sat there in the apartment and, you know, I just cried. And I told myself, I said, I'm going to allow myself to cry today and that's it. And then tomorrow we're going to get on this and figure this out. And so, yes. yeah. So the next day I just went and got a job at PCBY, you know, had that job for like a month and got a job at at I was like little it wasn't little Caesars, Mr. Gaddy's. Yeah, and I only had that job for a couple of weeks, and then <laughs> I was walking back from from quitting the Mr. Gaddy's. I just 
it was disgusting. I couldn't, I couldn't serve that food to people. It was, they were breaking all Oof. kinds of, yeah, they were breaking all kinds of health code violations. Oh, oh no. Yeah. It, it was nightmare. Awful. Not a sponsor, <laughs> by the way, not a sponsor uh, of the no, show. No. Just I just, there. Kitchen Nightmare is not a sponsor of the, of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was so bad. It was like a moral dilemma for me. So I said, screw this, I have to leave. Nope. And so on the way back, I, I was just like, I was, I was terrified again because I had just started school. Uh, you know, I had, it was barely about a month and a half in Dallas and I had enough money to pay like my next couple payments, but that was it. And I was just fearing that I failed because I, I needed a job. Like that was always my, my priority. And, uh, on the way back, I, I saw a, a restaurant between Mr. Gaddy's and my apartment. And, um, I was like, let me just stop in here. And I, I saw they had a hiring sign up front and I sat down and it was a man that came up to me and he, he greeted me and I was like, Hey, you know, you, you guys hiring, you know, and he's like, Hey, he was real kind. And he asked me a lot of questions, just a, a lot about my life story and stuff. And I was just telling him basically this, like how I was scared and everything. And I, I have all these dreams and ambitions and I just want to hit them, but I, I know mm -hmm. I need a job. And he's like, yeah, let me get you some food. He's like, what do you want? And I was looking at the menu Aww. and I was just like, I just want a burger. I'm hungry. You know, I, I don't really have a lot of money. And he's like, okay, no problem. And he, he went back to the back. He made me a burger, everything. He came back and he put it. And he just kept asking me questions. And when I was finishing my burger, he goes, can you start, you know, next week or whatever? Or tomorrow? I forget what it was. It was really soon. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, that's cool. And that that job saved my life. That I, I had that job for yeah. three years, basically, uh, working at Texadelphia here in Dallas. And I, I went from just washing cool. dishes to being a store manager. Um Wow. And that, that played a key role in actually getting me a, a job in the game industry because um, I, I went to the Art Institute for a while. And after some time, like uh, I, I moved up one of my one of my friends from high school uh, who also wanted to, to make games. And he, um, you know, me and him, we just uh, we realized that we weren't learning anything from from the Art Institute. Like it was good. We learned a lot of fundamentals. But then mm -hmm. after you get past yeah. a certain point, it was all about like teaching you how to make cartoons for Johnny Neutron and, and you know working for DNA Productions on, on Johnny mm -hmm. Neutron Jimmy Neutron sorry yeah and um and I was like I don't really want to make that I want to make video games because at the time uh Final Fantasy 7 was fresh it was like eight months um, yeah. to a year mm -hmm. out and then Metal Gear Solid had just come out too so those games were within a year of release uh and I was like this is what I want to do I want to make that I want to make low poly character art and so me and him, we got on, on a forum called polycount.com and it, it was in its infancy. It had just, it had just, uh, been, it used to be, uh, Q2 PMP, I believe is what it was. So they used to do a bunch of quake two skins and all that. And so we got on there to do quake three stuff, quake three arena. And we formed a team called team Dallas and we just started making skins. The first anime skin in quake three was our Vash the stampede skin. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah, we had we had a, a skin for an original character that when you would kill him, like he would split in half and his legs would walk one way and his torso would crawl another, <laughs> which is the first one to do that. Mm -hmm. It had two rigs within itself. So we were always trying yeah. to push, 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 push what we can do. And uh, we, we just got noticed. And by that, by a certain point in time, uh, we quit the Art Institute. We dropped out. Both of us did. Mm -hmm. And we were terrified because, again, this was another scary point. Uh, where we were like, we can become statistics, right? We can become these college dropout kids that are just going to move back home with our parents. And so luckily I had that job at Texadelphia and I was a manager or assistant manager at that point. And I said, look, man, uh, I'm going to front load your entire week. I'm going to give you like three or four doubles in a row. That way you'll have three to four days 
at the end of it, I think it was three doubles in a row. So he could make all the money he needs to pay rent and everything. And he had four days to just focus on his portfolio. And so he's like, okay, let's do it. And I front loaded his schedule and he did that. And within three months, he got his first job at Mesa Logic. They did the Area 51 arcade cabinets and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We we had another friend at the Art Institute uh, who was offered a job there, but he wanted to graduate. So he said, oh, let me show you my friend Juan. And so Juan jumped in and boom, he got hired immediately. So when he got hired, this was was already early 2001. uh, I did Texadelphia for three years. Um, He told me, he just looked over, he goes, okay, now it's your turn. He's like, quit quit Texadelphia, I'll pay your bills. Um, just get like a little side, side full, uh, part-time job just to pay like your car rent or whatever, uh, but I'll, I'll pay rent, you know, all this stuff, I'll pay your cell phone bill, everything. Okay, cool. I did that. And then three months later, uh, I got in at Mumbo Jumbo down, down in Dallas, nice. um, just because yeah. of our reputation of, of making stuff and not stopping. And so that's kind of like the, the, the short version basically of just how I got in. It was just like these, real pivotal moments in time where I could have run away. I mean, I remember there was, there was a lot of times when I was in Dallas, again, I was, a, I, I'm, I'm a bit of an introvert uh, and I have a lot of social anxiety. So when I first arrived at the Art Institute, I, w- I was really anxious and I, I found it very difficult to make friends. And so there was a lot, a lot of large part there where I was really alone. You know, you get all these like thoughts in your head, you know, suicide and all this and that, because you just feel like no one's there for you and uh, no one cares. And being in a big city away from your family for the first time ever and all your friends who you pretty were pretty much your life. Um, you know, yeah. I grew up in a tiny town. So all my friends were people that I literally grew up with from like preschool all the way up to graduating. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point in time, everything it, everything is the most important thing ever when you're in high school. And oh, yeah. of course. you just yeah. think that there's nothing else. And so there was there was a lot of times where I almost gave up. But, you know, I, I never I never did. I always found a reason to keep going. And um, that's kind of, you know, th- there was some very pivotal moments where everything could have gone wrong, but they didn't. And so I, I lucked out with a lot of that stuff. Um, but yeah, and, you know, getting that Momo Jumbo, I was there for a year. And then my my roommate, uh, Juan, he, he started working at Terminal Reality. Well, he went, yeah, he went to Terminal Reality. Then I I got into Terminal Reality. He went to Ritual. Then he came back to Terminal Reality. Then he went to Ensemble. And then I went, Austin and he's you know we've we've always just been crossing paths and stuff uh, our entire <laughs> career but it's just it's just very interesting to see like our careers how we helped each other get in and it's just been pretty awesome honestly yeah um, yeah you remind me of like uh Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg you know mm-hmm. coming together there and <laughs> and and I wouldn't say challenging each other but like you know helping helping each other grow you know incrementally through through that and that's that's actually a really like a really cool story Jesse like I I just gotta say, like it's it's inspirational to hear that because, um, like being a military brat, I've I felt very similar things to you, kind of hitting that reset button and and not having a support structure, you know, in place. And so, um, it's it's really inspiring to hear, and I, I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, you know, one thing I, I did want to pull out of the ether, it might seem kind of random right now, but throughout this journey that you've mentioned, where did the prop building side of this come in? Because I heard that you you built props for a little bit too. Uh, I mean, it's it's always part of it's always part of uh, the creative side, right? Like I I, I do things with my hands, uh, whether it's with a mouse and a keyboard or, or you know, making stuff by hand. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, it's something that I haven't done too much of uh, recently, but uh, I I really do miss doing that. I had made some really good uh, uh, prop making friends during the Ghostbuster years because you know Ghostbusters is, is all about props. 
and, oh, and getting yeah. those, those props <laughs> down. And uh, so there, there was a there was a lot of that in there. Um, you know, I've always just worked with my hands. Like I don't I don't find it any different to sculpt something in 3D as I do. You know, sculpting something in real life is the same thing with painting. Uh, I know you can yeah. get spoiled by it. Like I, I I don't like painting with like oils or anything like that because I just can't. I can't undo essentially. Like I can't make a mistake and then mm -hmm. kind of smooth it over or whatever. Some mm -hmm. of that, some of those paints, yeah. like you've got to commit. And it's the kind of same thing with sculpting <laughs> in real life. You know, you, you start committing. Nowadays, it's a little bit easier. Uh, it's not not necessarily easier, but um, now I can make all my mistakes digitally and have all that stuff printed out, right? So, yeah. so yeah. whether I'm making uh, props and stuff. Uh, in real life or digitally, I, I, I think the same way. Uh, when I when I make props digitally, I, I try and make sure that they they function properly, that they have uh, thought behind the their, that there's reason behind whatever it is on the prop it needs to be there, you know, for a reason. You know, it's functional stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, you know art every every day, all day kind of thing. That's that's yeah. what I do. <laughs> yeah, no, the uh, yeah, your comment on like uh, not being able to erase when you're painting, I have that same frustration. <laughs> like, I hate painting for the life of me. I love drawing, love sketching, love making and building things. When it comes to painting, I'm like, nope, that's permanent. I made a mistake. It looks like we're throwing this whole canvas out and we're starting over again because I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. started, I started welding when I was eleven or twelve. Uh, oh, nice. back home, back home, you know, they teach you all this stuff real early and we had shop mm -hmm. class when we were in junior high and they taught us how to weld, how to do all the wood cutting and everything like that. So having a shop is, is something I've always wanted. I'm trying to get back in a house so I can have a, a good garage shop, you know, and start mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. that stuff again. But, uh, I haven't done anything recently because living in an apartment life and stuff is just, yeah. it's, it's different. Yep, yeah. know what that's like. It's hard <laughs> to weld in an apartment, for sure. A little bit. <laughs> uh, I absolutely love living in an apartment. Like, I, I don't mm -hmm. give a shit. Like, uh, for me, I, I don't ever have plans of being a homeowner. I just don't want that maintenance. Like, I don't oh, want really? responsibility oh, well. maintenance. Not at all. Oh, oh I, dude. Like, I have so many horror stories of people moving into a new house, and then it's like, oh, some, summers here in Texas are brutal. And it's just like, oh, the summer hit, my air condition's dead. I got to buy a $20,000 system or whatever, exactly. you know? Hey, no, yep. you know Put what? That... You know what? You're going to look forward to it one day, Jesse, because, you know, there are things like a hole in a roof that you have to repair or the drywall that gets ruined or the gutter that gets mm -hmm. stuck that you have to dig a trench for and lift a 400-pound rock out of manually to <laughs> get it out of the way. You as are you mentioned. really selling this, man. Yeah. Wait, is that what I was <laughs> you doing? Definitely talk Jesse into buying a house for the manual labor alone. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I, I set myself up there. <laughs> just, just this, just this past like Texas freeze that we had. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. My friend Juan just sent me some photos of his attic. It, he, apparently, there's a hole in his attic, and he just his, he was just like, yeah, we saw some water or something. So we went up there, and it's just snow inside his oh. entire. It was oh, just like no. whoa. I mean, I don't have problems uh, renting. Like, sure, I'll rent a house. You know, I like to move now. You know, after living in Brazil for a bit, like, I'm like, why the yeah. hell do I want to stay here? Like, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm fine. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. do this the gearbox thing for a while. But um, I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. You know, I might get the itch to go yeah. live somewhere else in another country, start a studio somewhere else. You know, I, I don't know. So, I, I I'm not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I have mm -hmm. my, um, I have my wife has a she uh, i have the uh my, my luggage and she gets she gets after me because i never put it away and i'm like <laughs> i'm like yeah but we're about to go on a trip so it's a good thing i never mm -hmm. put it away right like it's yeah it's, it's, it's there right it's ready there. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just like when mm -hmm. it's like when i was saying like you know, when i was smoking and i said i could quit at any time or something or somebody <laughs> would say 
you know, <laughs> hey, did you quit smoking? And I went, oh yeah, I did totally quit. And I went like, but, but for five minutes. But yeah, when for five I, minutes, or when you're dressed as a Ghostbuster, it's kind of just part of the costume. Just, yeah, right. Like yeah, I, I, I quit smoking for an hour, right? Well, so I, I mean, quit traveling for a week. I'm gonna go out another week. Yeah, come on, <laughs> we're gonna be there. I mean. The Ghostbusters technically haven't been smoking since '84 no. or whatever. Like, you know, they, it's been a big, yeah. big no-no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they found out some health risk or something. I, I just it came out of nowhere. I had no idea it was coming. Wait, <laughs> smoking's bad for you? That's weird. My doctor always recommends the same brand when I go. Man, I, I, yeah. I do not like Ghostbusters too. I just, I, I just don't. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never have. I'm just one of those people. When I was a kid, I was like, "There's something bad about this." Like yeah. I, I enjoyed it a little bit, but man, nowadays I'm just like, wow, this is cringy as hell to watch. Ooh. Was it the lack it's, of smoking? Is that what you yeah. think killed it? Yeah. No, man, it, just, it was. We're missing that coolness, the coolest factor. Yeah. They felt like was, bad boys it's... in the first one, right? In the second one, they're like, they're dads now. Oh, come on, I don't it's want the, this. It's the kidification, right? Like, I don't, yeah. I, I'm fine with yeah. making making stuff mm -hmm. for kids, and that's one of my main focuses. I want to make entertainment for my little nieces and stuff. But it's it's one of those where that franchise I don't think ever needed to be not the movie franchise at least didn't need to be mm -hmm. for kids. It was good for everyone. Uh, mm -hmm. yeah, okay, yeah. smoking, whatever. Like that that doesn't make or break the Ghostbusters, but just everything else in that movie did. And it was really a product of RGB, right? Like RGB was fantastic. Yeah. I, I used to come home. Oh, yeah. I used to sit down mm -hmm. and eat my cereal after school and watch RGB. And I was just, I would just be like so into it. Well, I fucking hated it when it became, you know, Slimer in the real Ghostbusters like that. Oh, yeah. shit. There's like one or two Definitely really good ones lame. in there, but, mm -hmm. but oh my God, like once Slimer started talking, like throw that shit out the window. I hated it. <laughs> hey, do, do you know what the story is behind why that happened? Um, I mean, uh, I remember something about uh, Michael Str uh, J. Mike or Michael J. Straczynski. Yeah. Um, once he was kind of taken out of it, but it's been a long time. If I mean, if you want to go over it, let's go over it. Oh, just really quickly, like for folks that have, because we covered the real Ghostbusters actually, like uh, in part of like our revisiting Ghostbusters 101 in time for the for you know for a Afterlife. But um, what happened to the real Ghostbusters cartoon? was the studio back then which was comprised of uh you know deke enterprises and then um uh, abc and then the coca-cola communications telecommunications company they brought in um this advisor who said okay we need to look at what we can do to make ghostbusters more kid friendly yeah. and and Steered what did they do oh this advisor came in and said let's let's take janine and turn her from an independent and and like you know, like really good influence Called for mother. girls, young women, mm -hmm. and turn her into the character that she became in GB2. Yeah. You know, hey, we want to get rid of Ray Stance. Who's this Ray Stance guy? Let's just get rid of him completely. They had to fight to right. keep him, by the way. Right. <laughs> and then they said, hey, Junior Ghostbusters, let's bring him on in. We need <laughs> kids to see. I hate Junior, Junior Ghostbusters. So stupid. I hate him so yeah. much. I hate each and every single one of them. <laughs> I, oh kids. god i hate those kids no. I hate so much and then when the whole thing went belly up they're like well how about we just make a show about a sea lab uh no. that moves and slimer can be the voice of the dolphin hey why not <laughs> why you not? make worse well, decisions yeah uh well yeah i i um so so for those i guess that are listening in um you know we met because uh i, I made a comment on I'm, I'm a retro game collector and i made a comment sure. on a, on 
on the on one of the forums i think it was uh, i forget which one it was and I, and they oh it was one of the dallas area ones mm -hmm. and um he was just like oh my god the, the art in the ghostbusters is so so good right and i, I said well we had a great team and so that kind of started the whole the whole conversation that we had uh found out that you know i worked on ghostbusters and all that which is uh, what brings me here as well um various other reasons too but uh, that was one of the primary reasons so yeah i i i am I consider myself a ghost head, but a, a little bit more on the casual side. I'm not as hardcore as as some of the fans that I know. Um, uh, working on the game has really made me very knowledgeable about a lot of stuff. Um, but um, you know, I was I was a ghost head growing up. I, I don't remember when I watched the first movie. I was young. I think I was like five years old when it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I remember I fell in love with it. Uh, I fell in love with RGB. That was amazing. And, you know, at the time, Ghostbusters 2, there was something that didn't sit right with me because I was, I was like 10 years old. So I was just starting to be a little bit more critical of things that I was consuming. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, you know, for the most part, I still enjoyed it. You know, it had, it had to go. I love the dark suits, you know, mm -hmm. I, it had, it had the music was amazing. I, I freaking love that soundtrack. Um, you know, I it had a lot of stuff that I really loved. Um, and then uh, I, I got I when I got to college I I started I had bought a bunch of the RPG books and I, you know I, I don't really tabletop too much but I love having them for reference and I love just like looking through so I was like looking through all those old mm -hmm. RPG books and everything and so yeah. it was always part of my my conscious I always had like uh, um, every cover of a song like I would download it and I had like a whole bunch of different covers from the metal cover and all this and that of the theme songs and <laughs> nice. everything mm -hmm. and extreme yeah. ghostbusters came out I fell in love oh, yes. with extreme ghostbusters great little series oh yes. my god it's just mm, the the man like the people that that don't that don't get it like I, I understand like you don't get it that's mm -hmm. fine but it is such a good series. Like all the all the cringy stuff aside, because you know it's still something for kids and all this stuff. Extreme. Yeah, the, but it's <laughs> it's just one of those. You know, it has a, a story arc. You know, and it's got mm -hmm. things that it's got character development where RGB. You know, like, you could just watch it out of order. There's a couple two parters oh, yeah. and and whatever. Oh sure. Uh, sure. And, and that's yeah. okay too to a certain extent. You just want something, you just put it on, whatever. But Extreme Ghostbusters. I used to wake up. This is right after. I guess this was around '99 or. 2000 i used to wake up early yeah. to go into to work at texadelphia and i would i would put on turn on the tv and it was Z the adventures of zorro would come on and so i, I would always catch yes. the very end of zorro and then and then it would go into extreme dinosaurs and then ghostbusters <laughs> extreme yep so I, yep. right when ghostbusters extreme was finishing i was getting ready out the door to to go go work for the day so that's the way my my morning consisted of of that um, very nostalgic for Extreme Ghostbusters. Oh my god, oh, like dude, that. I'm, <laughs> I'm right there with you, Jesse, because for me, when I first saw uh, Extreme Ghostbusters, it wasn't the pilot, but I think I got maybe like three or four episodes in, and at the very beginning, when they redid the the intro music, you know, for, away from the legendary, you know, Ray Parker Jr. song, mm -hmm. and they did their cover of it. As soon as they started doing the guitar riff, you know. Yeah. Uh, like the first transition of the dun, song. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Oh. 
And then it's like, and you're just like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> this is improving upon something yeah. I didn't think could be improved yeah. on. This is and, extreme. Oh, I know. I <laughs> read those my rollerblades. Oh, God. <laughs> it, was, it was perfect. Like, that's the type mm -hmm. of music I was listening to during the time. You know, I was I was really into all that new metal and, you know, yeah. Marilyn Manson stuff and everything like that. That was my main oh, my main dude. source of music. So when I heard that, I was like, this is amazing. It was and lights out. It was lights out. I, I remember I bought the bootlegs. Like, uh, I went to a convention you know maybe a couple years later and i found them on dvd burnt dvds and i had to just buy the whole set because you know they just weren't <laughs> uh shop factory wasn't around during that time and, yeah. and it was just yeah. like i need to consume this i had my batman 1966 bootlegs i had my mm -hmm. get smart bootlegs i had like just all these bootlegs of this stuff and ghostbusters uh extreme ghostbusters one of the one of my first ones where i was just like i need to have this show because i never finished it uh you know it was just whatever i could consume that was on tv mm -hmm. but they, they didn't necessarily always play them in order and no. uh, yeah and so i i sat down and marathoned it so when ghostbusters landed on our lap uh we were it was 2005 uh we were rolling off of aeon flux and i Ooh, i was on a man. i was on a team that was that was doing uh like i had just i had just done grandma's boy and i was um uh, I was on a, proto a rapid prototype team, so we were doing like Star Wars, we were doing Metal Slug, and we were doing um, there was one uh, there was a there's one other one, it's, and the other team was Spy working Hunter? on demonic. Uh, well, Spy Hunter was another project, but that that was okay. Uh, that was coinciding along with um, like like I finished helped finish uh, Spy Hunter. That wasn't sure. my main project. Uh, but we're on a rapid prototype team making all these things for the PSP and everything coming out and all that. And then when Ghostbusters came out and we were doing the, um, uh, because we had to, we have to stay quiet about it for freaking like two years. Yeah. Uh, we mm -hmm. couldn't say we were working on it or anything, but, uh, everything started with a green light process at the beginning of 2006. So we ramped up to 2006, uh, and we, we hit the ground running with a six month green light process, which it was us and several other studios that were going, going for this. And so they all, we all had to make a demo of how we envisioned Ghostbusters. We had to make a game mechanic and all that for it. Uh, I, I wish you guys could see that, uh, portion of that actually made it into the final game, but the entire, the entirety of that, I, I that's actually one thing I don't have. I wish I had it. Um, I might have the video somewhere. I need to go through my archives, but, um, we, uh, like the first thing I did was I brought in my, I brought in all my material. I went to eBay. I bought every single Ghostbusters game I could. I, I, I had that all that imported. I bought RGB on bootlegs that I came and I ripped and put on our network. Extreme Ghostbusters ripped and put on our network. Uh, <laughs> I bought, I bought, uh, I, I love the 90s, uh, like uh, from 19, well, I bought, I brought in, I love 1988 through 1993 because we were existing in the middle. So it was like all these trends yeah. and stuff to get people in the mood. Uh, and, and I just brought all this reference material in I, I bought uh, someone on eBay had reference for the Universal Studios Ecto one. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. yeah yes. and I bought that. I bought that. He had all these photos, it was on CD. So I bought that and I brought that in. And same thing with the packs. I just bought a bunch of stuff and I just brought it all in and I put it up on the network to just get everyone thinking, you know, in that in that way. And um I was ready. Like it, it was it was literally like I wouldn't want to say a dream come true. There's other properties I, I enjoy probably a little bit more as well, but, but Ghostbusters was real high on my list of making, making new content. That's important. Making new content in, yeah. in a, in a world that, that I enjoy being in. Right. So it's like getting to play with all of these toys that I, I enjoyed. Um, and so that, that yeah. was a blast. And, uh, uh, I, 
it, it was unlike anything I ever got to do. Um, there, there's a, there's a lot, a lot goes into making your own IPs and your own stories and stuff. But when you get to work on yeah. something like that, that you've always loved, um, it's fantastic. But at the same time, it made me freaking hate it as well, because, <laughs> you know, when you, when you see, when you mm -hmm. see how the sausage is made, like you probably don't want to eat hot dogs anymore. <laughs> and so once I saw the spaghetti, that was the Ghostbusters license. Like I was just like, this is Awful. oh this is this nuts is, yeah well like, let let us just make a fun game i don't yeah. want to put up with all this bullshit like let me make a fun game that's all i wanted to do and one of the things that I, I thought was crazy about the uh in the ghostbusters uh video game you know in your time at terminal was that and correct me if i'm wrong jesse but from what i remember reading you didn't actually have like like uh facial capture or like motion capture or anything to work from right like didn't you have to create like the actual like face designs and everything like that was basically from your own interpretation, wasn't it? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You're talking about like, uh, like 3d scanning and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so by the time that came up, I, I was not the, the, the lead character artist when we first started, we had hired another guy uh, to be the lead character artist on it. And then uh, he was only there for mm -hmm. a bit. Then he left. And so they made our, our senior care, one of the senior character artists into that, into the, the lead role and he didn't like it. So he left. And so at that point I was like, stop doing that. Like I'll do it. Right. Like you need to find someone that wants to do it. You don't, you shouldn't be hiring your best artist to be a lead artist. It should just be the people that are meant for management. And so, yeah. um, you know, we, we had hired, um, uh, one of the one of the guys from um, from EA Vancouver, which they do a bunch of the a bunch of the the soccer stuff, and um, mm -hmm. he was real mm -hmm. good at doing faces. And so we we created this whole camera rig and stuff. And so what we did was we went over to a movie trading company, and I bought everything that the characters or the it, all the actors were in between that time frame, eighty eight to ninety four. Bought everything. Yeah, uh, they had you know. Uh, brought it in put the dvds in we took screenshots of as, as many face shots as, as we could and we built the system which should be on video somewhere i think i have a video of it somewhere but it's it's uh you drop in all these planes in maya and you you uh put the screenshots on them and then you have all these cameras that that face the screen uh, the screenshots at all times and then you you adjust the uh the focal length and and, and uh, distance of the camera to to uh, com compensate for the perspective in the in the shot so that you're making all those shots uh, orthographic and um and so we ended up with a with a base character uh head that um was really really nice topology and then we would have all these planes of the care of the actors faces everywhere and so we we had uh, a rig a facial rig that would allow us to morph and move the face around and so we would just kind of move it and, and adapt and we'd switch from camera to camera 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 and we would just massage it until it until it looked like them and then we would take that yeah. into at the time Mudbox, and we would do all the facial detail moles and everything like that that were specific to that actor uh wrinkle lines all this stuff smile lines everything and then you know we'd export that and so we had like a single face that we can morph target between everyone's likenesses so we can just make whoever we wanted if we had an egon slider right we slide it all the way and it would it would turn into him but if we wanted to like mm. a mixture of egon and ray we'd slide them both over and then you can see like the approximation between them two it, it was really oh, yeah. really really interesting interesting uh, and that was a, that was a really good system but of course that was before 3d scanning and stuff and so mm -hmm. yeah we had uh that's basically what we did for for all the major characters that were likenesses in, in that project um 
we made everything just really modular and and just tried our best to to do as many characters as they wanted with with the small team that we had um it was it was fun it was very educational very good and that was my first foray into being an actual lead um but yeah it uh as much as i loved it it was a three-year project and that that really wore on me man it's it's hard working on something for three years yeah yeah Yeah. i mean i i i didn't this is something i actually wanted to ask you about because we kind of mentioned it but your your time working on the the grandma's boy you know eternal death slayer concept um you mentioned working on something for three years it's curious to find out how long it took you to work on on the eternal death slayer whether it was a fully functional game or if you you know developed aspects of it for grandma's boy just to be seen you know at those strategic points in the movie so eternal death slayer so for well for grandma's boy we did a total of I guess it was it was two different projects because we were working on demonic at the time and I, I had created the mm-hmm. the main the main demon demonic and uh, some of the other and my other character artists created the protection demonic um, and uh, made like just a bunch of characters in there um, so we we had just rolled off Aeon Flux and it was right before we went into demo mode and we had just uh, I was tasked to redo the rock uh for spy hunter so i redid the rock and his uh his designs uh his disguises Mm -hmm. and then i went to demonic i made the 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 main demonic uh my counterpart did the protection demonic we did uh some of the some of the security guards and and uh other elite guards and then we went Mm -hmm. into developer stuff so demonic was being produced while we were working on Aeon Flux. I might, I might have my timeline kind of mixed up, but because uh, it was mm-hmm. during Aeon Flux, because when it came down to it at the last minute, we we were offered, we, we all got a day off of work and they said, well, we could, we're all going to go as a group to watch Aeon Flux uh, or Grandma's Boy. And so we're like, we're going to go watch Grandma's Boy uh, because it was me and a couple friends of ours that, that, that worked on Grandma's Boy. So we went and watched mm-hmm. everyone else went and watched Day on Flux, uh, which we chose the, the better of the two movies, honestly. And um, <laughs> but um, uh, my part of Grandma's Boy was about two to three weeks. And then everything else was like, I mean, in total, it was about a month, month and a half for Eternal Death Slayer. Um, it was uh i took a lot of my blood rain stuff and i reskinned it and i made just a couple characters overnight like just that i that i you know just stuff that i would sketch in high school so I, like uh there's there's a couple characters in there there's there's a big dude with metal arms that's that's one of my characters from high school uh we had the other guy with the hammers as well like it was, there was a bunch of those and so i gave them to my to my friend he rigged them up and did an animation and so we we actually have a game engine for some reason it doesn't start up on my machine i wish it would still work but we had a we had a mm-hmm. game engine specifically for that based on the Aeon flux engine and we locked the camera like a like a fighting game and so depending on the character that you would load uh or the scene that you would load you could either control the character in a very rudimentary fashion or you would just hit a button and it would play a canned animation so they can time and pretend that they're playing and so sure so it was it was kind of a mix like uh, the blood ring characters had their full sets of animations so we made a technically a, a very simple fighting game with them so you can actually load like like schoolgirl rain and feral and you can actually like fight them and, and do all that uh 
but some of the other custom characters that we made you know it was just like they push a button and it just starts playing the animation and then they just played along uh, i got to make all the all yeah. the signs and stuff in the all, anything dealing with eternal death slayer in the office that's stuff that i made uh and yeah it was but it was about a month yeah. month and a half at the most that we worked on that did you have anything to do with a lion getting on the roof uh on the, the what now sorry <laughs> is there i think there's a scene in grandma's boy where a lion gets on the roof um but yeah, no, oh, that, no, that was no. not you, not involved in that. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I was I was strictly involved with demonic and in internal no, Nothing to do with livestock or, or, or wild animals in the movie. Uh, <laughs> it's just, no. he, he's a man of many talents. Yeah. I did not want to sell him. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of animals, Jesse, on the internet, there are many whispers about penguins appearing in your work. And we're interested in knowing where the origins began. You know, is this a design choice or, you know, is this a character from your past? We'd love to expand on that. Uh, well, I mean, um, the penguin came from my first uh, in-studio game job. It was uh, it was called Snowball Run. It was for uh, oh, um, uh, Mac yeah, at the time. I, yeah, yeah, I and played that. And so it's uh, that was that was my first uh, in-game studio job. Uh, and I, I designed them and everything like that. And um, so just as an homage for that, I toss him in wherever I can. Uh, I know he's he's in, he's in, he's definitely into stuff that I have a lot more control over than some of the larger. Like I, he's not in Borderlands 3. I don't I'm not going to toss him in there because it's not it's <laughs> too large to, to do that. Uh, someone will find it and flag it and send it out and I can get in, in trouble <laughs> for that stuff. But um, but like uh, he's he was basically in every single one. Like he's in my Blood Rain games. He's in Aeon Flux. He's in uh, Grandma's Boy. Uh, he's in Ghostbusters. Uh, he's in a couple of the games that I've recently done, but they're just in publisher hell um, on the side. And um, he's he's just he's in Desert Bus that I did for Gearbox. He's in um, I think he's in a couple other VR experiences that I did. But yeah, he's just in there. It's just one of those things. Like in Ghostbusters, he's under Ray's bed. You know, he's just kind of shoved under there. It's kind of like a little Easter egg. And so it's it's one of those. Uh, you know, it's one of the many um, Easter eggs I, I, I put into as many games as possible. Uh, yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's cool. it's crazy because like even the cosplayers have picked up on it. And so when they do like Schoolgirl Rain, like they they have the backpack, the proper backpack with the with the penguin and stuff. And, and it's it's just fun. It's funny like how that how that came about. But yeah, it's just just an homage to my first my first uh, game character. <laughs> That's cool, man. I I I you know what? I this is part of our research department, which is comprised of roughly myself and two others. And <laughs> I. I never connected that. That's crazy. I mean, that's that's awesome. Um, I had no idea, Jesse. We were connected for much longer than I realized. Um, but, but one thing I did realize that we kind of just glossed over a little bit here um, was your 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 journey into character development, right? You, you've talked a little bit about your video game origins and how you got there, but uh, where did the the character design necessity come from, and and how you just kind of found a, a home there? Uh, I mean, I've always drawn right like drawing mm -hmm. i've always like coming up with characters it's always just been something that i did you know i always sucked at drawing backgrounds so i was just focused on the characters and you know just kind of did that uh, i'm real interested in narrative uh why characters uh are the way they are you know telling story with character design stuff like that so that's that's kind of just one of the things that stuck with me honestly it's pretty simple sure Sure. Yeah, I didn't know if there was uh, 
it, it may be like a, a another chance encounter or or something that kind of maybe got you into your first one, but it, it's just no. been there since since beginning. Yeah, since I was working on uh, Quake Three Arena, uh, plugging character models like that's just what we did. Everyone at that time did character models because it was just so easy to do, and so it was um, you know that's what we got known for was making very complex, very good looking character models, and so you know we got taken in. You know, that was my first job was was working on characters. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Uh... You know, one one thing that was really cool about hearing about dinosaur games was that you know a lot of the experiences that you're building out were more like that VR experience level, and mm-hmm. and so obviously that's a little bit different of a of an experience, not just for the the gamer, but also for you from a development and a and a, a design standpoint. So it, uh, it went from making you know let's say console and PC games, and then shifting into VR. Uh, what kind of steps led to that? I was really wanting to dig into that a little bit more. Well, I had I had been hired uh, by Samsung uh, to go start a, a studio in Brazil, basically uh, like a like a AAA mobile studio. You know, tons of tons of freaking money just to make mobile games because Brazil has a real strong mobile market. And uh, at, this is 2014, and Samsung was developing the the Gear VR at the time, so they we had prototypes. And they they showed it to us and we're like, can we make a game for this? And they they were like, okay, sure. So we took our current game, which is called Finding Monsters at the time. We took it and we converted it over to VR and won won a lot of awards for that. And so we just started, kept making VR games while I was there. And so uh, I had some friends back home uh, that were working at a a local studio here in, in Dallas, it was kind of like a marketing kind of an installation studio where they go to conventions and they do these big things or whatever. And so they were focused on on creating VR installations for for companies, you know, VizDev. Like it's just like, oh, we're selling you know windows that tint, you know, to big big buildings and all that. So can we make a VR experience out of this? It was like, sure, let's do this. And so my VR experience from Samsung just kind of led into that. And so 2016 was just full of VR experiences and we won a couple of awards. We won uh, awards for, for our arcade artist, and uh, uh, we got some, so a lot of really great press for our American Horror Story uh, uh, VR experience back in 2016. Uh, and then it led to, it led to a couple other uh, VR experiences with them, which led me eventually on 2017 having a just a random encounter at gdc with my current boss and he's just like hey you know you, you do vr and i was like yeah because we were we have mutual friends and we all went out to dinner and i sat next to him and i was like yeah and i pulled out my tablet and i played him our demo reel and uh he's like i have a project that, you know basically if you guys want to want to work on it and so i started i was like yeah let's do it and so that was the, the pen and teller uh, uh desert bus vr and so when we finished desert bus vr i was I was I took a job working on Super Lucky's Tale at Playful with my my old roommate, and they needed help, so I came in and helped finish that. And my contract was was ending, and he's like, you know, our outsource manager left. He goes, and everything that you did uh, on, he's like, he teaches how to do that, you know, how you did it with uh, uh, Desert Bus VR, because Desert Bus VR was just me and one other guy, and I outsourced everything. And I was like, sure. And so I started there at Gearbox and. And that's just been where, where I've, I've been at since, you know, um, lots and lots of things. I've been able to art direct a lot of stuff while I'm there, uh, lots mm-hmm. of upcoming projects. And and it's it's really given me the opportunity to 
to be the best uh, manager in person that I can be. And so the future is pretty bright, not just for us, but or not just for me, but for Gearbox as well. So um, that's that's kind of like the VR thing is just, you know, one thing. And the whole reason I took the job in Brazil was I found myself again at, in another turning point in my life where um, I just wasn't happy with where I currently was. And I had just uh, broken up with my girlfriend at the time. And I had like a cat that had accidentally run away. Like the, the, she got out of the, out the door and she never came back kind of thing. And so I was just kind of sitting there um, after I realized that, that my, my ex-girlfriend and I just weren't going to work out. Uh, I was yeah. visiting, I was, I was out of state visiting her and I was just like, you know, it was that, that realization where you just kind of, she's, she was asleep and I was just kind of in the tub and I'm like, this is just not going to work out. And, um, he, I got just that email in the middle of the night because it, it came from South Korea and, um, it just said, Hey, we have a job in Brazil. Um, do you want to apply? And I just kind of sat there and I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And <laughs> three and a half months later, I was in Brazil. Nice. it's just you know why not you know yeah for, yeah absolutely. absolutely take those opportunities yeah for all i know you know we go around this 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 whole thing once mm -hmm. and it's just like you know why not you know i'm not that was scary again like when i got to brazil i was just like what the hell am i doing what the hell am i doing but yeah whatever at this point you know i've 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 been through a lot so it, it's just <laughs> i you know i didn't i didn't cry that time it was just like it was well just you like, said just once so yeah you allowed yourself that one time i assume that's the only time you've ever cried <laughs> and so so it's it's one of those you know you can you can follow back the entirety of like even just to this single moment that we're all sharing like you can just pinpoint it and just go far back all these decisions that led to this one singular moment in time it's just it's just interesting well and that's something i wanted to ask you about with your your experience at gearbox software because you can't tell right now but the three of us on this side have all enjoyed the borderlands franchise in one way or another mm -hmm. um and we've all consumed it and one of the aspects of designing borderlands and, I, and you may be aware of this or not but when when they scrapped their entire design direction on the first game uh, I didn't know if you were aware of that when you, when you joined up with them or not. Are you familiar with that story? Uh, you're talking about the uh, the art direction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they, you know, they they spent how many x amount of hours, and the original art director left the project because of yeah. just probably pure frustration and agony. Yeah. You know, working with with Gearbox and knowing that history. I mean, um, and this isn't to say it's a negative thing, because honestly. It, it made the franchise into what it is now, but oh, yeah. but does that ever stick in the back of your mind when you're building something? Not just with Gearbox, I guess, but in the industry itself. That after all of the design you've done and all the passion you put into something, is there ever that concern that all of this work could be for naught? And how do you how do you manage that? Um, well, first and foremost, one thing that I always tell a lot of young artists is that you know you're this is not your portfolio, right? Like you're making a product. You're you're uh, a you're 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 making a product you know, that's all it is you like you're getting paid to do this and it's very rare that you ever get like full 100 percent creativity on any project like i got to experience that on blood rain and stuff like that because i was like the concept slash character artist and no one really told me what to do and our team was extremely small but um mm -hmm. but you know um not really you know after 20 20 plus years uh, you know, I'm making a product. I'm a commercial artist. That's mm -hmm. that's what I am. 
uh that's why i have dinosaur if i want to do what i want to do and see my vision through then i do it on my own i don't you know you know now granted gearbox is really good about that so um you know the gearbox that that was then is definitely not the gearbox that is now not saying that what they did was bad or anything like that it was just that's just a decision that needed to be made you know rage came out and showed their stuff Mm -hmm. and it was just like oh crap this looks Mm -hmm. great and so (laughs) so you know they did what they had to do uh and if i was put into that position uh that wouldn't hurt my feelings at all it would be like okay let's think outside box what do we need to do right Mm -hmm. uh it's a challenge and i i i I love challenges um so you know i'm professional enough to not not get my my butt hurt for any of that stuff but Mm -hmm. uh like i said that's that's what the main reason i started dinosaur was because i just wanted to express myself in my own way and it's called dinosaur because at the time uh artwork was changing uh, from what it used to be nice and low poly to to like this hyper realism stuff and i just i felt like a dinosaur in my own industry <laughs> so, so my friends and i just started dinosaur because that's that's what we, we felt so we just wanted to we we yearned to make games like back mm-hmm. in the day like on sega saturn and stuff like that and yeah it's it's fun it's days yeah we're, we're never gonna make like a, a borderlands level project or anything but mm-hmm. it's just it's just like you know we make something here and there you know just just for fun you know we all have day jobs and we all work at our own studios and, uh, you know our, during the day so this is just mm-hmm. stuff that we do for fun um sure no. that's what it is yeah great now like i I love hearing you talk about like where you are in life right now and the amount of confidence that you seem to exude about you just being you. And then comparing that back to you said like when you're going to college and you were kind of anxiety written, you're worried about like being able to work from like just going from job to job, being able to like just be able to work. Like what, what changed uh, that in you where you went from having and not to say like anxiety ever fully goes away if it's an issue, but like you seem to have, a much much larger like amount of confidence and kind of security of self than you did when you're in college was there was there anything that was like crucial to that or was it just kind of like a gradual build going through the industry that just got you to where you are now well one of the major things is i don't ever really give a fuck like i just don't (laughs) um but as far as as far as um like I, to this day, you know, I, I'm introverted. You know, I still have problem making eye contact, mm-hmm. and I, I do. I play with my hands a lot. I, I, I fidget. I have this blanket that I'm constantly messing with. I wear mm-hmm. my hoodie. I, I always say that I hide my anxiety in my in my pockets. Um, mm-hmm. oh, I'm I'm terrible with anxiety, but I'm extremely extroverted as well uh, within my limits. Uh, I do a lot of public speaking. Uh, I've done talks like at GDC and XDS, which is our external development summit that we that we do. Awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I'm known, you know, for being kind of loud at the XDS events, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, everyone knows when Gearbox is coming around because they, they can hear me and stuff. <laughs> uh, but, um, it, it, I mean, the, the main thing that, that I learned, you know, like when I was alone and all that stuff, you know, I wanted to mm-hmm. give up and I, it was our second quarter and I sat down in, in what class it was. It was probably like English or something like that. It was one of, one of the fundamentals and oh, it was debate, I think. And so I sat down in class and the first day the teacher's like, all right, I need you all to get in groups of like six or something like that. And so I was just sitting there and I knew no one in class because it was kind of, this was a little bit more of an advanced class. So I was taking mm-hmm. it with people that were one semester, one quarter ahead of me. Sure. And 
just suddenly this one dude, this one Asian guy just goes, you, you're the last one. Come on. And I was like, okay. And that be- those guys became my friends. Like I'm still <laughs> like my, my current roommate awesome. you know, is from there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the other guy that started dinosaur was from that exact group. And uh, you know, th- there's like all of them. I'm still friends with all of those guys. And so that kind of, um, put me at ease and I was just like, yeah, you know what? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And so it took a lot of work, but, um, I'm not like, I'm not arrogant or anything like that, but I think a lot of artists do have a certain type of ego. You have to be kind of an ego. You have to have some kind of ego to, mm-hmm. to make characters, especially characters, uh, because, um, you do put a lot of yourself into that and, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of characters you design are a reflection of yourself. And so there's, there's always going to be, a certain amount of ego in your art and so i in college um i think one of the things that that really started boosting my confidence you know after i realized it's okay life goes on right regardless Mm -hmm. of how i feel life is going to go on either i'm going to be part of it or i'm not like that was the big thing and i was just like i'm going to be part of this uh i started taking character design classes you know color pencils and inks and all this stuff, drawing all these things with character turnarounds and stuff. And they started just hanging my stuff up around the art institute. And so mm-hmm. that was nice because that was confirmation that I was doing something right. Yeah. And then I was yeah. just randomly at the library and I had a notebook and on the back, I had some drawings of one of the characters that I was drawing at the time. And I had this, I guess, I don't know what they're called. I guess it's technically a freshman uh, since we're quarters, it's not really like that, but it was like a first, the first timer freshman. Yeah, um, red shirts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she she walked up and she looked and she goes, oh, you're the artist. And I was like, huh? She goes, you're the one that draws this guy. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she goes, oh, you know, they gave us this tour and they, they show us all your art. And you know, like they, they were like talking about you and all this and that and everything. And so that that was kind of like the first time where I was like, oh, wow, you know, I'm getting recognition. Mm-hmm. And then there was another more uh another event that happened uh where i was just at, at the student housing and I, there was a knock on the door and it was a it was a fashion design student and she's like hey are you uh jesse and i was like yeah she goes hey i heard you're they told me you're one of the best artists here uh, i want you to design a tattoo for me and so i was just kind of like oh cool like you know i Aww. that's that's kind of yeah. because i got intimidated as hell because in dallas we had amazing mm-hmm. artists a bunch of my friends you know amazing artists so hearing stuff like that kind of helped and so it's not necessarily you know i'm anxiety driven and i have mm-hmm. imposter syndrome up the wazoo oh, but yeah. it's um um uh, you know and i'm always battling and always going up and down on this roller coaster dealing mm-hmm. with all that stuff but you know when, when you get into management and stuff you you just can't be frail you just can't at all and you, you have to have a team that believes you and believes in you to follow you and to follow your art direction, especially, especially like me, I'm so out of practice. I don't really draw or anything anymore. I just, mm-hmm. I just build in 3d. So, you know, it's not like they can go to my art station and see these fantastic paintings and stuff like that. I'm more on the technical side of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I have to be able to surround myself with, uh, with very talented people. And I have to, I have to utilize them as my paintbrushes and tools to, uh, bring them, bring their artwork together and bring the art style together into one unique vision uh to make other studios want to hire them away like that's always been my thing is mm-hmm. like i want to i want to 
come up with unique art visions to that that will make other studios be like oh man who did this right like let's let's go look for their portfolio and stuff like that um but i also want to make it fun enough that people want to stay and so you don't have room to to doubt yourself and if you doubt yourself you know you go somewhere else and do that you don't do that in front of your team mm -hmm. so when i'm here and i'm in front of like this or in front of a crowd speaking or whatever like th that there's no time to to doubt myself like i i have to cut the bullshit and i have to just be like i'm here for a reason i made it this far for a reason let's mm -hmm. go right and just gotta go yeah. go 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 all the time yeah yeah I, but, I remember hearing once uh from a motivational speaker that you need to trust the footprints that you left behind you just as much as the ones that you haven't taken yet and yeah. and I, i'm i'm hearing that in in your speak right now i mean every, from the very beginning of this conversation i mean um once again i mean tremendously inspirational like stories that you bring to the table yeah and uh and we all appreciate that i mean it's it's just, it's just like when we talked to josh sawyer and he gave us a near-death experience story it's the kind <laughs> of stuff that you're just like wow i was not prepared to hear that today but i'm happy that i did <laughs> and yeah. um to, to go cliche for a moment jesse and, and mm -hmm. kind of in, in wrapping things up here do you have a a favorite character and we'll also say or a favorite game that that you kind of always look back to fondly and and interested to hear your take on on those uh, favorite character in general or favorite character that I made? Yeah, favorite character that you made, yeah. Um, I always have an affinity for Ephemera from Blood Rain. Um, just, uh, I don't know, she, she's just fun. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think that that was, that was a lot of fun. Uh, now favorite character that i directed that's that's coming up i have a new favorite character Ooh. um to be announced <laughs> yeah. um yeah i think this one's gonna get some real good cosplay I, I i try and design my characters with cosplay in mind all the time um that's awesome favorite game is is really tough because uh well the cliche answer is that you know it's difficult and i love them all uh but that's i mean that's not true you know we we all work on games that we absolutely hate and stuff sure. like that um oh actually uh, so liking characters there's definitely different reasons i like certain characters like ephemera i don't know there's just something about it whenever i see people cosplay her i'm just like yeah that's really cool i like her because she was like 100 percent me uh yeah. sort mm -hmm. of sort of like the publisher told me make her sexy and i was just like okay fine i, I would have made her all emaciated if i could but uh, you know, whatever. Yeah. Like the design, the design is still something I had a lot of fun. She was a huge technical challenge at the time. Um, but I forgot. I forgot. I, I always block out Star Wars. Connect my head. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I introduce uh, a Gothic Lolita into the Star Wars universe. So that right there is is another character I really enjoyed is just kind of a big F you, you know, I was like, yeah. fine, <laughs> if I'm going to work on this freaking game. Like you're going to get a Gothic Lolita. <laughs> and I did. I, no one questioned me. I made a badass piece of art and everyone was like, yeah, she goes in. And I was like, cool. And mm -hmm. they made her and took her in and she's in there, a Gothic Lolita with a big old death star, uh, chest laser. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, so I really like her. There's a couple other things 
in that game that I actually really like where I was just venting a lot of frustration, but I'm not ready to talk about that stuff publicly just yet. <laughs> uh, I do talk about him a lot, just not on the record. <laughs> uh, Smart. Uh, and then, uh, yeah. as far as games go, I have different classifications for that. So like uh, the most satisfying project that I've actually ever worked on might've been Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters was just very satisfying. It was exciting yeah. the whole way through. I never really mm -hmm. felt a burn. It was just like, yeah, this is great. We're all making the best thing possible. Uh, then there's the games that I actually enjoy playing, which is uh, usually a toss up between Ghostbusters and Blood Rain. Um, then there's, um, um, you know, I'm most uh, I'm very proud of the t what we did in Brazil with. Uh, Finding Monsters VR, you know, won a lot of awards for that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was fun. And then, of course, like Desert Bus VR is, um, I, I'm proud of that simply because, you know, we, we, we did it for a charitable cause. And, and I think that it's real important for, uh, what they do, the, the Desert Bus for Hope uh, team does. And it was fun to finally revisit a, a, a game that, you know, never was never released back in the 90s. And uh, Penn and Teller are amazing people. And, mm -hmm. It was just a it was just a wonderful experience as well, but uh, yeah, games that I made that I like to play probably Blood Rain too. Just it's a lot of wacky fun with physics and stuff, and that never grows old. And Ghostbusters is just a just a great experience overall. Yeah, I mean, we it, it comes mm -hmm. across that that experience. I mean, uh, so Joe and I didn't actually know each other initially when the video game came out. We would meet each other, I think, yeah. like a year later. That sounds um, about right. And and we had never shared a word with each other, but we both had the exact same appreciation for Ghostbusters, the video game, when we began talking about it. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and I always, to the front of my mind, I always just think of care. The amount of care that went into creating that that game, um, I obviously want to personally thank you for because it's there. <laughs> you can feel it. You can see it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's the story. Yeah, it's man. the design. All of it. Mm -hmm. It's just It's just care cranked up to 11, and that's why fans love it so much. Just yeah, we tried. We tried our best. Like we really tried our best, and we had some really good. We had we had a lot of ghost heads in our on our team that were in key areas. So like I pushed back real hard on some things that were mandated by by Sony and them because I just did not want to do them. Like I was mm -hmm. like, no, that's stupid. You know why? Why are we going to cut out levels for the Xbox version? Like that's stupid. Why are we going to diminish the experience for people who just chose a different console? Like no, that's dumb. You know some people were like, hey, we need to make the traps bigger because they we need to see them. And I'm like, well, they're going to look stupid when they go up and pick up this gigantic trap off the floor. Like no, we're not doing that. You know, and it was just a bunch of a mm -hmm. bunch of stuff like that 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 really. Um, you know, pushing back, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, the hardest I've ever worked was, was, uh, updating the Ecto one, right? Like, like originally I bought the, I bought the reference from the universal studios Ecto and that's what the, uh, one character artist, Austin Klein, he built, he built around that, you know, and then of course, when we release it, you know, the fans just hammer us for having the, the, that Ecto. And it was one of those where it was like, Whoa, 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 like it's not done. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah. by, at the end of the project, I had a week left and they were just like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I'm going to go fix that Ecto. And <laughs> I, did, I didn't get to do everything. Like it's, it's missing a couple, mm -hmm. a couple of uh, vents and stuff. But, uh, you know, I had to make it technically the, the grill is not correct uh, because we didn't have the license for, for the caddy until at the very last minute. And uh, we also didn't have the, the license for the uh, for the uh, New York license plates until the very last minute either. So and I'm talking like yeah. I'm talking like 
like last minute like we had already rendered out the cut scenes and everything mm -hmm. that's why in the uh the intro cutscene, it's the it's the universal studios um if, I, if i'm not mistaken it's the universal ecto uh and it's it's not really correct and then if you if you watch it frame by frame when the door shut and you see the license plate that that yeah. b on the ecto 1b feels fake because they mm -hmm. have to composite it in there at the last moment yeah <laughs> like it was after it was after it was all done mm -hmm. and everything like it was all rendered like they had to go in there and, and add that in there uh because they just we just did not have that so i i made i fixed the ecto mm -hmm. uh without knowing if we were going to have the license or not and we had we had i had two versions i had one that didn't have any of the logos and anything like a caddy logo was the absolute last thing that was that was greenlit but i i had my contingency plans of going and changing up like the tires and stuff like that you know i was i was just like you know what who gives a shit if this is like fucking this is like eight years later get over it like yeah, yeah. people <laughs> yeah. change mm -hmm. like and that's the other thing too I'm, I'm sick and tired like some of the some of these uh ghost heads are there's such sticklers for detail and they're like nope nope mm -mm. and i'm like it's been eight yeah. years like are they you know like you can't even you mm -hmm. can't even really go go to the go to the store and get a ripstop jumpsuit anymore like ghostbusters no. nowadays are not going to use ripstop you know they'll probably use dickies i don't know they'll use something else something yeah. else it's mm -hmm. okay to change and involve the brand you just have to be respectful and um, yeah and so it was like uh mm -hmm. it was at that time that, that that other studio in the ukraine was pushing for a ghostbusters game with the they had that chrysler 300 or whatever it was the and it was like all extreme mm -hmm. and it was like post-apocalyptic and the ghostbusters had like mini guns that shot late you know yeah. it was oh, just yeah. like, mm -hmm. i was like well that's that's kind of cool but it was just like that's not gonna no you know yeah. and you're, so you're so not I, killing I, the ghosts Capturing. <laughs> <laughs> so, they're already so, dead so at the last minute you know the last month or so uh, i was put in charge with uh with a co-worker named josh Obel, uh to to decorate the firehouse and so i was just like okay this is heaven and i get to put in all these easter eggs that i want i got to fix the ecto I, that's why i took like the ecto two doors i freaking hate that car and i and i built it and i put it in the back i'm just like that way hey it's back there you know the, the mm -hmm. ghostbusters they're not going to use that same car why why would you fucking have a two like i guess it's the second time the ghostbusters came out but it was just a movie tie-in for merchandise it's all yeah. it was it was disgusting and mm -hmm. so it was just like it's yeah. like all right but instead of just totally ignoring that i'm like fine i hate it personally but i'm gonna put it there for the people that do like it because while i may hate it that's not that i don't want to disqualify the the feelings of the other people that hold nostalgia to it I, instead yeah. i want to mm -hmm. i want to provide a, a natural evolution and so since this was 1991 it was you know like th two years after 89 or whatever um you know i put them back there i'm like okay cool here's your nod here's your sign here's all that it's just that they, they moved on they did something else and people freaking loved it and i was like sweet that's how you handle that type of stuff you know you don't yeah. you don't go in there and just kick the door down and say that was stupid we're not doing that you know ignore it you know no mm -hmm. not not with something like this and, and i see a lot of a lot of uh franchises and stuff that do that they're, they're just like this movie was stupid we're gonna ignore it and that leaves a lot that alienates a lot of fans uh and so you know we just we tried our best not to do it like i'm very vocal about me not liking ghostbusters 2 and all that stuff but it's uh you know i i i had to think of the fans you know because i am a fan and i'm like well how would i feel if it's my favorite franchise and i like this one portion of something and and it gets ignored right like they're just basically saying this sucks you, yeah. you don't pay attention to it anymore and so while i also believe that no one is you know 
uh, overriding your childhood, you'll always have Ghostbusters 2. I'm trying to make something that's all inclusive. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, yeah. that's why we had, I yeah. put the, I put the Tully uniform up there with his earmuffs, you know, yeah. just in case, <laughs> you know, we, we were at the last minute with him, you know, mm -hmm. almost got him, but my, my contingency plan was uh, he's, he's out sick. Um, the, 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 at, we yeah. crossed a threshold where he came back and he's like, Hey, yeah, no, I want to be in the game. And so we were just like at the mm -hmm. last minute, like, what, what can we do? And so we decided, we were deciding that we we're going to take his desk and put it behind Peter's, uh, back there with all the junk. And then you would just see like his hand basically just kind of come out and be like, Hey, I'm back here working. Like he, we were just going to get his voice recorded because we didn't have time <laughs> to do the face. And technically we did create the face. Um, but yeah. it was never approved. We never, we didn't have time to go through the approval process. So we were just going to do like his voiceover yeah. and stuff like that. But that ended up falling through at the last, last second. And we just couldn't get that in. You know, uh, there's, there's a lot of stuff. Uh, this the whole reason ego is there was like, we don't want to ignore mm -hmm. it, but it would be funny if this demigod got just put <laughs> here in the office and he, he can't, he's powerless. And he just, he just comments on what's going on, you know, cause he's just bored. Like we thought that was funny. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot, a lot of stuff that, that we did that was to celebrate the Ghostbusters as a whole. Uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm all about evolving. Like I hate just repeating the past and we had yeah. some mandates like we had to have you know stay puff we had mm -hmm. to have but at least we we came up with a narrative that that made sense right it's like okay well why are these echoes coming back and it's like oh because this is this is the story this is what's happening there's a reason why why these echoes are coming back and um you know it, it, was, a, it was a big effort by a lot of people that all love this franchise um I, I really like it. Uh, it's it's something I'm very proud of. Um, yeah, uh, man, it's 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 a it's a trip. It was a, it was a wild ride, and there's so many stories to go out out into that. Just I, I'd love to just sit down with ghost heads like at a convention or that proton charging or something, and mm -hmm. just I haven't had a chance to go out there. But if I go out there, I, I need to to have like a panel or something where I can just talk for like four hours. Hey everyone, still there? Well, it turns out, so is Jesse Sosa. He's got a lot more in his mind, and he's going to tell us more about it next week. So you hope you come back for part two of this conversation.